Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us, and welcome back to the Globally Ballin' Podcast. We appreciate your support and have a special interview and episode for you today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy learning about sports and opportunities around the world. Here comes the music. I gotta let you go. He goes, I'll give you, I'll give you seven hundred fifty thousand a year to sign with us without even showing off. He goes, don't even walk over to the field. Because <laughs> I had no, no idea that my passport was even expired. Let me tell you, I sent out six thousand emails. You know, how to use a celebrity for good. You know, up until that point, most of us as, as athletes were taught how to use a celebrity to manipulate, to get a girl, to get famous, to get whatever it is. Had a couple guys get robbed at gunpoint, um, and one of them was just like, "Yay, get me out!" Actually, broke my neck. I was paralyzed from the waist down, and I was never supposed to walk again, much less be able to play football again. We're hours away from kind of the nearest hospital. He ended up losing his leg over. You finished uh, the game with a broken hand. Yeah, I finished the game with. I'm Rio, 2016 silver medalist and Asian Games 2018 gold medalist. I don't think a lot of people know the opportunities there are actually to play overseas, especially in the women's category. There are some who would still keep their nine to five jobs because the pay for being an athlete isn't enough. Don't complain when we look like idiots abroad in these big tournaments. What league or country gave you the best pay contract-wise? Probably Turkey my last season. Okay. This episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Creating Young Minds. Creating Young Minds is a nonprofit out of Louisville, Texas, brought to you by Dr. Shira Ackerman and Coach Mathis Crowder. Creating Young Minds strives to bring success to the lives of young men in ways in which they may have not reached that success Otherwise, one of the ways in which they do this is through their professional basketball team, the Louisville Yellow Jackets, who play in TBL or the Basketball League. Make sure you go check out Creating Young Minds on all major platforms, including Facebook and LinkedIn. I encourage you to dive more into the mission of Creating Young Minds as they strive to bring the European model of basketball to the United States. Thank you. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Globally Ballin' Podcast. I'm here with my special guest, Chris Terrell. Um, today, we're going to learn a little bit more about basketball. We've done plenty of episodes on basketball, probably the most covered sport out of all of them. Um, but that doesn't mean we've covered everything. So today, we're back to basketball, and we have a special guest to talk about um, something new that's happening. So Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, Chris Terrell. I'm the commissioner of the Pro Basketball Association um day-to-day operations for the league so we're talking with franchises it's a national league uh filling out you know our divisions around the country we've got northeast southeast southwest pacific division and a midwest and um just putting all the uh, standard operating procedure and rules in place for uh, for the pro basketball league is your goal to be playing in 2021 yeah uh tip off is may the 1st of this year. Okay, and so currently, how many teams do you have set up? So we've got 19 teams officially been announced, uh, but we have 30 other pending applications. So um, we're going to cut off registration for year number one in March. Um, 
and, but it, it's a national league and, and we're looking to fill each one of those uh, those divisions between now and then. Where are these teams typically coming from? Are they completely grassroots? Are these former ABA teams? Are they from some other league? Um, or is it a combination of a lot of that? Where are these teams typically coming from? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I'm a little reticent to, to be too specific only because I don't want to um, throw anyone under the bus. But sure, yeah, the, sure. uh, most of these teams are coming from other various minor leagues that are just, you know, looking to kind of step up their, their game to that next level. And so the league will be professional. Is that the way it's set up completely professional, meaning players uh, getting paid in that situation? That's correct. Yeah, we've modeled ourselves uh, a little bit after minor league baseball in the sense that you've got a single A, double A, triple A, and then the major leagues being the NBA, uh, triple A uh, being G League. And so uh, we're looking to, to uh, make that single A and double A level uh, a little bit more professional, a little bit more organized and, uh, you know, make efforts to do what we have to do to uh, properly promote players up to play. So taking that analogy into consideration, the um, minor league baseball aspect of it, the triple A, double A minor or uh, single A, um, what level, if you to pick one, um, do you put PBA at? Yeah, I mean, if you were to include some of the other various minor leagues in the in that spectrum and they fit somewhere in that, then that would be the double A. Um, if you were to exclude leagues, um, then, you know, we're somewhere in that single A to double A range. So, I mean, again, I'm, I, I don't want to make this about other leagues. I won't name them specifically, but um, it, we're, we're somewhere in that single A to, to double A range. Okay. And where then, looking back at some of those teams in the league, then are you spanning? Are you completely nationwide? Is it at least the ones that are concrete in for the next year? Are they in certain regions or are they completely across the country? What does that look like? Yeah. So, so far we've made announcements um, from teams in, from Dallas to Arkansas to Oklahoma, uh, New York, uh, the Rochester Razor Sharks are the seven time PBL champions, the premier basketball league. It's a good organization. They average 2,000 fans a game. Um, the Buffalo Blaze is also in uh, upstate, you know, New York. There, obviously, um, in the Midwest, we've got Cincinnati, uh, the Crush. Uh, we've got two teams that were just announced today in Chicago, the um, the Angels organization, and then uh, we also have uh, a team in Elkhart, Indiana. So uh, it's a, a little bit all over the country. We're currently in conversations with teams in the in the Pacific uh, division and then also in the southeast. So, you know, really from coast to coast, um, it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. As a you know, as the man in charge of the league and helping set this all up. Um, one of the things we we definitely come across when talking to leagues or teams that have either failed or succeeded is that the cost of travel for especially for some of these minor leagues can really um, deplete any money that they had laying around. How do you go about avoiding that, especially when you're spanning across the country? And while you may have teams in the Pacific or in these other areas, um, it's a few and they're still going to have to travel a significant amount or at least on the surface they'd have to. How do you avoid that or not have to deal with that? Yeah, so in our model, uh, we have already dealt with that problem before the season begins. Um, we've set up uh, teams in divisions, and so they're they're re regionally based uh, on their area. I'll give you an example: the Southwest Division. We've got Dallas, we've got Fort Worth, we've got um, Waco, we've got uh, a team in um, Arkansas, 
Um, and, and so it's regionally based. And so all those teams in that region are actually playing in a bubble, uh, one central location in Dallas that they all go to. Um, so the only travel involved is, is local for them. And then uh, in addition to the bubble form, format, we also have a classic format which is uh, six teams that make up a cluster in a division. I'll, I'll give you um, the Midwest as an example. So the two teams in Chicago, uh, the team in Ohio, it's actually Northern Kentucky right there on the, in the suburbs of Cincinnati, um, team in Elkhart, Indiana, uh, six teams uh, make up, we have a new announcement coming out Monday uh, that's, uh, that fits in that uh, region as well six teams in that division, 10 game regular season. So it's you plus five other teams. You play them each once at home and once on the road. That makes up your 10 game regular season. All travel is regionally based. Um, so it's structured in such a way where it greatly reduces the costs of participating in the league. I'll also note that other professional leagues, um, that are along with us kind of in that double a spectrum, um, have significant costs involved with, with joining the league and with travel. And so we think we've positioned ourselves in such a way where uh, teams can participate and stick to a budget and thereby be profitable year one. So kind of going off that, you kind of talked about what might be a little bit different when at least structuring and, and joining the league. What in your eyes, Chris, has shown you that there is room for this league to join in the United States um, with the different leagues that we have here, both professional, semi-professional, and completely amateur, where do you believe that you fit? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, and, and I'm again, I'm trying to be careful not to name anyone specifically, but um, there are various minor leagues, uh, semi-pro, if you want to call them, that really are glorified rec leagues. Um, you know, I, I could, if if someone is familiar with minor league basketball and they go to the website of a lot of these various leagues, they don't have rosters. Uh, the teams don't play the same number of games. Like you take a league registration uh, fee or a franchise fee to join their league and you can't type out the names of 10 players on their basketball team. Uh, they don't keep stats. If they do keep stats, it's points only. I coached overseas for 16 years. I coached in the top league in China. I coached two years in Europe. FIBA First Division, seven years in Latin America, Canada, the D-League. And I, I got to tell you that when you're a general manager of an overseas club and you're looking to sign a prospective import player, um, which is why these guys are playing at this level to begin with, a highlight video on Facebook for 30 seconds saying that you scored 25 points just ain't going to cut it. Excuse my, my Texan. But um, you need a little bit more than that. You need a professional basketball league that gives you Points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, uh, point, uh, field goal attempts, field goal made, three-point attempts, three-point made, free throw attempts, free throw made, offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds, assists, steals, turnovers, blocks, and all the ratios and percentages. And you need all of that tabulated and calculated throughout the entire course of the season so that a general manager that's scouting players in the league can compare and contrast different players and say, okay, well, this guy shoots 38% from three on 125 attempts. This guy shoots 40% from three, but only on 75 attempts. These are the teams that they played. These are the guys that are on that roster. Let me look at their individual player profiles and find out where they went to college and what their previous stats were professionally so that I can ascertain what the levels are. 
And then it's data. Like, you know, this is the age of analytics. It's 2021. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing. League teams, players um, really don't get. And it's a big bone of frustration for scouts, agents, general managers, and team owners overseas. So, and I know you said you don't want to name and that's, that's fine. Um, so hypothetically then, if there was a league that didn't do this, why do you think they won't or they haven't done it? Um, and this could be a number of them because there's plenty that don't. Um, so why do you think that might be something that they haven't done? Yeah. And I, you know, 99% of them don't do any of the stuff that we just talked about. Um, and why they don't, I, I, I think it's economics. You know, unfortunately, you've got a, a franchise fee to join the league and they're putting together a schedule. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that they don't do anything with, with those monies, but um, as far as the structure and the organization and the rules that have been implemented in the league that require organizations to provide a certain amount of analytical data from every contest, full game video is a, a must in our league. Every game will be, uh, on a full game video. So we attach the full game video to a full game box score for every game that's played all season. And then within that box score, individually hyperlinked, the player names in that box score then, when clicked, take you to an individual player profile. Uh, we're linked up through the U.S. Basket and Eurobasket network. So now a scout from the comfort of his own home with his laptop in his lap is able to watch a PBA game see every stat that's been recorded from every game played, research who the players are, and then thereby be able to make a credible judgment as far as, you know, who they're inclined to sign for an overseas opportunity. So, uh, Chris, that's all very important. I know, obviously, you've spoken from your experience how important those statistics are. But again, not just that, but the ability to get them all in a nice uh, location, an easy way, and in a, in a format. Every All of that is so important, especially for somebody looking uh, for players. You also mentioned you know, the way your model set up, at least for the teams to be profitable year one. How is it that you're able to do that and add all of these other things that other leagues are failing to put in year one. That seems like quite a, quite a, um, a bite to take out. Yeah. And I, I don't want to take all the credit for it. I mean, I've got a great staff and, and people that have been working with me. We're all tirelessly, you know, making every concerted effort to, to do this right. Uh, from the beginning, we had a, a model and a concept uh, of the way that it should be done. Uh, again, it's kind of loosely scripted after, minor league baseball. Um, you know, I, simple question. I was on another podcast and um, I, I kind of posted to the audience and I'll, I'll do the same here. If there was a, a player in minor league baseball, and I don't care if he was from a single A team that you've never heard of before in some city you've never heard of before, or a town maybe is the better word for it. And um, he played his season and you're a scout for a double A AA franchise and he were to become available is there any doubt in your mind that you'd be able to go to that league website and cross-reference, find that player and give you everything that you need to, to make a decision about that player? I mean, it's a no brainer. It's that that's a starting point. Uh, day number one for us, as far as the business model, uh, it's just makes economic sense. You know, it, I think a lot of leagues have good intentions and they want to do something big immediately. And, you know, I, I love the idea you know, I coached in the TBL last season 
And um, I was the head coach for the Dallas Skyline. We played a game against the Albany Patroons. I loved it. You know, I, I thought it was a, a, a great experience. But, it, you know, if you're not averaging 2,500, 3,000 fans a game, it's pretty hard to take a team across the country to a, a, a smaller city in New York or, you know, fly to New York City and, and bus up to Albany to play a, a road game that you don't have any revenue from. You know, in the minor leagues, you, you don't have a television contract. You probably don't even have a radio contract. Um, sponsors are typically limited to your home games and, and the financial wherewithal that, that the team has to work off of is based on home revenue. So uh, we decided to structure it differently. Nothing against the TBL. I, I think, you know, Magley and those guys do a great job. I love coaching in the league last year, uh, but this is set up for something uh, that's 10 to 15% of, of the cost. And it makes it a whole lot more uh, reasonable for, um, business owners, uh, former basketball players, agents, or whoever the case may be that's interested in getting involved in minor league basketball to, to be able to do so and and make a profit year one. Yeah. And we, uh, a couple episodes back, David was with us. And I think that's, I can't remember if it was that episode or not, but I think that's when talk of the regions came up to avoid some of that travel across the country, just like what you were talking about to try to avoid that, which can be a major problem. And not only that, but uh, just completely debilitating for any success financially of a league. So these additions, you know, you said having camera all the time, stat live statistics, that kind of thing. Are these things that teams are covering? Are they staffing for this? Are they, you know, they need the equipment for the video, all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. So two part answer uh, in the bubble format, the league actually has game dues where we take care of all asset uh, facets of game day operations. So uh, the facility rental, the referees, the photographer, the photographer, the statisticians, the table operator, the game game clock operator. Um, so all of it's provided by the league in the in the bubble format. And then in the classic home and away, we just have real strict rules as far as what teams are required to provide to us. Uh, they have to have two statisticians there at the table, um, paid people that have a job to do and that club uh, has a, a fine structure that they deal with that that requires them to get that data to us immediately and then um, also a videographer uh, uploaded or downloaded their computer uploaded to, to YouTube to be specific and uh, a link shared with the league and different than a lot of other leagues where you have to go through um, uh, paying for a, a monthly fee to access video or it's housed off-site or I've seen a lot of leagues do it differently. Uh, most of the leagues below us uh, that I haven't named yet don't have video at all. Like you go to their website and it says, if you want stats, go to the team's website. And it, it doesn't even list what the links are to take you to the team's website. But um, a lot of the leagues, uh, NBA Canada is an example. Um we're not in competition with them, so I'll, I'll bring them up. Um, uh, it, it's housed off-site, and, and there's a monthly access. So different leagues have, have it set up differently, but our model is full-game video, full-game box score, hyperlinked player profiles through Eurobasket, U.S. Basket, all housed at www.pbaplayers.com. It's Pro Basketball Association, so pbaplayers.com. And so all of these teams, you know, like you said, the different things that they got to make sure they're having during home and away games. This is something they all know going into it is something that when they're agreeing to join the league, they're agreeing that this is something that they can provide for the full year. 
Yeah, I mean, just like the first 15 minutes of our you know segment today on your show, uh, this is the driving force. Um, I've been coaching pro basketball for 20 years. This is something that has always been, you know, I'll take you through a day in, in my shoes. You know, I'm, I'm coaching in China or I'm in Europe or I'm in Latin America and I get 15, 20, 25 messages daily, some of which are from players that I know personally that know that they can really play, that they're good guys, that they're capable and okay, well, you know, I'm going to take this to my general manager. I think we could, you know, think about signing someone like you and this is the budget we have to work with and the players excited and it just rips my heart out when you find out that they've been playing in, you know, XYZ league that is really just glorified rec ball. Um, they might as well be a 24 hour fitness. They don't keep stats. There's no video. It's disorganized. Um, if they do have video, it just looks God awful. And as much as I want to help them, I can't. So when you get your heart ripped out for 20 years and you get the opportunity to change it, um, you, you want to change it and do it right the first time. So that's kind of the driving focus of, of our league and what we, you know, just like I've spent some time talking with you about it today, it, it's what drives the conversation when I'm talking to potential owners. So, and, and then our paperwork that we set up for the league is very clear uh, as far as what ramifications are to teams that don't follow our model. Um, and they know that getting in, um, there's an investment in the front end just to join the league that they would sacrifice were they to veer astray from what we're trying to accomplish. So I, I think uh, that with just, you know, firm discipline, I'm a basketball coach. Um, I'm used to telling seven footers that they need to run suicides. Um, some owner in a small town that doesn't want to keep stats is not going to be a problem for me. And we're going to do it right. We're going to do it together or, or we're going to have a few less teams. So I'm thinking here, it, you know, if, if a team brings in, you know, if they have all those stats and detailed stats and all of that, you know, in, in a great, well-presented way and video as well, that's all very important. Like you were talking about my question, do stats matter? Uh, you know, if you have, if somebody's dropping 45 points a night for a team, but the, but the competition in the league is worthless, not saying yours is, uh, but if that's the situation, then those stats lose at least a little value, right? I, I think you agree with that. Yeah, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, and that's why we link it back to the player profiles through the Eurobasket network. So you're able to cross-reference who the other players in the league are, who you're playing against, who's guarding you. You need to be able to have um, a point to start from as a scout. So first you need to evaluate the level, and then once you have an idea of the level, then you're able to properly ascertain whether or not that particular player is a value to your organization. So we give them extra uh, data to help them make that assessment. And an example of that could be, okay, so here's the individual player profile that now has been hyperlinked through the box score. Let me look at him. Okay, there's his player photo. There's his highlight. Oh, okay, he's 6'7". He played at Arizona State. He averaged 12 points per game in, in the uh, Pac-12. Um, since then, he you know went to uh, Spain, LEB Silver for a year. Uh, average 16 points per game. Now he's playing in the PBA. And so you do that with enough players in the league and, and pretty soon each team will be able to set what they feel to be a fair value on what they're watching. 
Absolutely. And I do love that extra angle is very helpful being able to see, you know, who they're playing and how those and then kind of weighing it that way. Um, I will say it's, it'll be quicker once a league develops kind of a prestige of its own. Right. And then you can just know, well, he plays in the PBA. We can look and more specifically, but at least we know that's a prestigious league to um, succeed in. Um, and in order to be a prestigious league or something like that, you need to be pulling in talent, of course. And how do you see your league as far as talent already being pulled from the United States in uh, leagues within the country itself. Where does your league fit in at least when it comes to pulling in talent that's already here? Yeah. And, and, you know, a part of that whole process and, and recruiting the best talent is by surrounding your organization, in this case, your, your league um, with the right people. And so we've attempted to do that. You know, I, I touched on the fact that I coached overseas for a long time at a pretty high level. You know, when I was in China, these guys are making $50,000 a month to play basketball. They're all first round NBA draft picks that are, that are over there. I had two on my team, but it's not just me. Uh, Jared Mustaf came on as a scouting director for uh, the Caribbean and, and also for uh, Africa. Mustaf was a first round draft pick by the New York Knicks. So, you know, NBA guy, owns his own agency. It's called US Elite. Um, they've got um, a showcase that they're putting on uh, in Orlando, Florida at the end of February. A lot of people should check that out, US Elite. Uh, but um, Gerard does a great job. Um, and, and, you know, other uh, NBA people, uh, there was just an announcement two days ago, Antoine Broxy, he was a coach for the Houston Rockets and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, he's also coached in the G League. He's currently coaching uh, the Shanghai in the CBA in the top league in China. Uh, Antoine came on as our national director of scouting. Um, Bai Handy runs the Handy Agency. Um, Bai is a longtime professional player. He's helped over 100 players uh, play abroad. Um, he's come on as the scouting director for Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. He's placed a lot of players in countries like Vietnam and Australia and New Zealand and um, different places uh, around Southeast Asia. So he's a tremendous asset there. And then um, uh, Zoran Milovic uh, is a six foot nine former professional athlete, played 17 years, uh, played Euro Cup, which is a really high level, just below Euro League uh, for a long time, uh, played in, in a lot of countries, but he's come on uh, for the PBA in the position of international director of scouting for Eastern Europe. And China, he's currently coaching in in China. So, LaSalle Taylor, uh, LaSalle coached in Mexico for 40 years. He's coached in every professional league you can think of in Mexico: LNBP, Ciba Copa, uh, LBE, Chihuahua League. Um, uh, Ciba Pack is a, a a new league that's starting in Mexico. There's uh, literally uh, hundreds of jobs that are available to us simply because of the people that we've put into position with our league. Uh, LaSalle is the international scouting director for the PBA of Mexico. So it, it's just little things like that, that um, we really put the players first. Uh, we say that if you want pro, you want the PBA um, because it, it's not just stats and video. Um, it's about surrounding the league with people that will help these players take the next step in their careers. And if you can do that, um, and you can demonstrate that you have the ability to do that, and that that's front of mind what the purpose of the league is, 
uh, players and agents and everyone else are attracted to that will will change the sport. So let's go off that for a second. You're talking about being able to get players in the next step in their career and wanting to do that and being able to help them do that. All these leagues, as you know better than anybody, all these leagues happen at different points throughout the year, worldwide at least. Right? There's always a different league starting or ending or need an import or whatever. Um, is the stance for PBA then that players may leave midseason and that's cool or when they start, they're there for the whole year? Yeah, so it's a, it's a league that, great question. It's a league that's about promoting guys to the next level. And so as a part of our uh, contracts with our players, there's a byline that says that the player will be released time uh, for a, a, an opportunity that uh, financially makes uh, sense for them to take advantage of. And um, we're all about that. We're, we're trying to help them get there and, and accomplish that. And the way that we talk with our team owners about it um, is, you know, look, when um, and I'll use a team as an example, uh, Cincinnati Crush, it's a great organization. The Bromleys are there in Cincinnati and uh, or, or Shakia Jackson in, in Elkhart. Once they get a couple um, players, you know, so-and-so uh, signs in Spain and, and this player's in France and, you know, this guy's in Mexico. Oh, my God, the the tryouts the next year, they're going to be uh, wrapped outside the door of the, of the gym in Cincinnati and, and Elkhart. Um, so uh, that helps the organizations. It helps the players. Um, and that's what we're all about. So just so I'm understanding that correctly, that that byline you were talking about does allow for them to leave midseason if they get a contract globally. Yes, sir, it does. That's okay. correct. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit. Let's kind of end here with our conversation talking about the players. A lot of uh, the listeners here are going to be players looking for opportunities. Um, first off, where can they find opportunities for the PBA coming up? Yeah, so March 27th and April 3rd, we have two pro combines. Uh, with a PBA league draft. Uh, the draft will consist of players that um, participate at one of those two combines. March 27th, um, Jen Moore uh, is the uh, CEO of the Rochester Razor Sharks. Um, Rochester will be hosting the league combine on the 27th of March. Uh, it's $95. Uh, we kept the fee you know, minimal. Obviously, there's costs involved with a, a gym and uniforms and everything that you need to put a tryout, but, you know, reasonable cost. Uh, they, they do need to register uh, by March 1st in order to take advantage of that rate. But, um, and then on April 3rd, uh, we'll have the league combine in Dallas. So we, we understand that players are coming from all over the country and we wanted to make it accessible depending on where they are in the country to be able to attend one of those combines. Uh, Dallas is set up the, much the same way. Um, 95 bucks if you register by March 1st. Um, and, you know, there's a hotel that's right there next door to the gym, walking distance. And this is an opportunity to, to play a high level of basketball and put yourself in a position where you can take that next step with your career. Um, if you're tired of playing in some of these various semi-pro, um, more semi than pro, then check out the PBA. It's www.pbaplayers.com. And I think, I don't know if I missed it or if you didn't say it, but where is the location of that draft combine? Yeah, so the one that's um, in uh, Dallas is at 200 Corporate Drive. It's in Louisville, Texas. Uh, the name of the facility is the MAC. Okay. And then Louisville is um, very close to DFW Airport, so it's a short commute. Um, so it's perfect for players to come in. Uh, there's a hotel there real close, uh, not 
super expensive place, but decent for a night stay and uh, come show what you can do. It, it could change your career for the better. If you had to pitch, do an elevator pitch, Chris, to a player, what can they expect as far? And I know you went, you elaborated a lot, but if you had to pitch it to a player real quick, why would they want to come play in the PBA? Yeah. I mean, if you want pro, you want the PBA. Again, I don't want to name leagues specifically, but there's half a dozen in this country that, you know, if you were playing in a men's rec league or at the YMCA or the 24 hour fitness, it would be just as good. Um, You know, I, I believe that our model is set up in such a way where it gives players and the ability to highlight their um, God-given gifts uh, to the next level and anything that doesn't have that basic standards, uh, just go to your league website. You know, if you're an owner, uh, if you're a coach, if you're a, a, a player and, and you love this game and you're interested in playing at the next level, go to the league's website that you're on right now. Go to the drop-down menu for teams, scroll down and just start clicking on different team names and forget about stats, forget about, you know, assists versus turnover ratio. They don't have rosters. You don't exist. Come to the PBA. We'll treat you the way that that a professional should be treated. And I want to end here. This is something we were going to cover and I I just forgot to bring it up. And that's, you know, um, a fan base obviously comes around a community, especially when you're talking lower leagues. I mean, you're not going to be bringing in people to Dallas that are super psyched about the team in Rochester. So it's, it's a community base, at least for fandom. Um, And we talked about where, or at least where you see room for the PBA to go in at an economic level where they fit in a talent level, where do you think, or how do you think the PBA fits to add more teams to Uh, fan bases around the country? So, you know, in the divisions we talked about in the Pacific, we're having conversations with organizations currently. um, So don't miss the don't miss the bus. Um, Southern California, Northern California, Arizona, in and around the Phoenix area, Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico. So those are is for the Pacific Division. Uh, We've also had some conversations with teams in the in the Northwest. Uh, Yakima, Portland. Um, so, you know, there's there's lots of opportunities in, in the Northwest, Seattle, but also, you know, smaller towns in and around those geographic areas. In the Midwest, I, I've recently, I told you I had 30 pending applications. We do an extensive background check. We want to know where they played before. We watch full game video. We want to know what other leagues they've been in. We do, we talk to other teams in that league. We talk to coaches. So we use our, our network of contacts to make sure that the teams that we have in our league are, are, are stable and organized and professional um, and or have demonstrated the ability to take their game up that next notch in order to check all those boxes. But uh, we're also talking to teams in the Midwest, in Kansas, in Missouri, in Oklahoma, um, in Nebraska. And so there, there's opportunities for, for teams in that area. We're already in Ohio and Indiana and in Illinois. Uh, we're also talking to teams in Michigan that have um, expressed interest and submitted paperwork for approval. And then we're in um, in the Northeast, in, in the New York area, uh, talking to teams in Pennsylvania, in New Hampshire, and in Maine. And then in the Southeast, uh, we've got a club that's ready to come on board in Alabama and in Louisiana. Um, and it's it's growing daily. So the, the PBA, and, and this is, I maybe should have started with this earlier in the show, it's something that's been unbelievable, but uh, we launched the first day that the PBA existed was December 10th of 2020. 
So in 35 days, I was on the phone today with another country that's interested in adding 12 teams to our league. It, it just blows my brain, Aaron, but um, nationwide, year one, my friend, 19 applications have already been accepted, 30 more are pending, and it is blowing up. Um, we entered into an alliance with the Maximum Basketball League. Uh, Aramis Brown is the commissioner of the MBL, the Maximum Basketball League. They approached not too long after our launch, and we're interested in working out a, uh, an agreement uh, to an alliance where our two leagues wouldn't overlap. And so uh, it's something that, um, you know, we've worked together on. One thing then talking about, you know, expanding that fast and it's blowing your mind, which is awesome. Uh, I always just maybe a personal thing. I'm always worried about growth too fast. And it almost makes me think if I personally, if I grew too fast, I must have missed something. Um, does that ever that thought ever cross your mind that maybe it's it's great to grow, but maybe I'm maybe we're missing something or how do we make sure we're not missing something or maybe this just needs to happen. That's why it's growing so fast. Yeah, that's complex. I mean, that's always uh, difficult to, to know, you know, right? Because, you know, it's a two-sided coin. On, on one side of the coin, it's the points that you made, um, you know, too quickly, um, you know, fall from your own weight. Um, you don't build a strong enough foundation. You've missed things. Um, and the, the, it takes time in order to, you know, build up the wherewithal in order to be able to withstand certain uh, pressures and obstacles that you're sure to face. But the flip side of the coin is that every strong team that uh, fills out a division uh, becomes uh, an arm, if you will, of the organization next to it. And the more arms you have lifting you up help your team. So um, that that team in Louisville helps Dallas and that team in Dallas helps Waco and that team in Waco helps Little Rock and that team in Little Rock helps Tulsa and, you know, um, all of those connect the dots um, are easier done with more teams. And then so just geography and needing to fill out the right number of teams per, per division, you know, play a strong role in where that discussion goes. But you're right. It's a constant thing that we're always kind of double checking and making sure that, you know, we're taking growth as we're able. Yeah, that's probably where your extensive background check that you talked about to make sure any team that's joining is up to par to make sure that they're not going to become an anchor for the league later on or poke some holes in what you've grown. You know, when we were talking, you were talking about scattered throughout the country and all these different areas that you've at least talked about or or maybe in the process of adding a team in. When you, when I think of like cities that already have existing either just an NBA team or maybe even NBA and another minor league basketball team, does does that go into play at all when you look at adding a team? Do you think, well, they've already got a couple teams there. Maybe we should look for something else. Or are you not really worried about that divide of city as far as fans go? Am I looking at it incorrectly? How do you answer that? Yeah, good question, Aaron. Um, and, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way. You know, your, your listeners are watching this and, and they don't really. And I, I'm coming from the right place. I'm, I'm not um, trying to be condescending to, to others or. Um, you know, um, for this to come out the wrong way. But sure. um, we really don't feel like there's anyone that's in the space that we're currently in. Um, we feel like, you know, you've got the NBA and, and, and the G League that uh, is clearly a, a level, you know, above us, um, not only, you know, in level of play, but also in cost to attend and 
cost some concessions and cost of parking and lots of other factors for a family. Um, and then you have a, a, a group of leagues below us that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's girlfriends and, and wives and, and kids that are going to watch dad play. It's, it's a rec league. Um, I, I think there's some good leagues that are in the middle and the, and the TBL is one of them, but um, we've got a very aggressive price point that makes sense for our team owners uh, makes sense for our league and, and makes sense for our players. Um, we've uh, done a lot of things to, to deal with travel, but just the cost of participating in the league to begin with and the way of acquiring a franchise uh, makes our brand uh, more accessible uh, to the masses. And, um, you know, we think that we've positioned ourselves in a place in the market where we really don't have a whole lot of competition. I've talked to a lot of teams, a lot of leagues, a lot of people involved in many different ways for especially more often than not basketball in the United States. Um, how would you do an elevator pitch to somebody thinking about joining the league as an owner um, that your league is here for long term and not even maybe a potential owner, but a fan who might start you know, investing their time in a local team and trying to um, be a part of that and wanting to go and watch and again, investing their time. How would you pitch to them that this league and these teams are here long term? Yeah. So what I would tell you is that when you're attempting to have uh, success in life, often what you do is you set yourself a big goal, right? Um, you kind of know where you're trying to get to, what's the end game, and then mentally work yourself backwards from that spot. What are the hundreds of little steps that I need to go through that gets me back to where I am today? And so when I'm talking to a potential uh, team owner, I like to think big picture first, you know, um, are you going to average uh, 500 fans a game? Um, are you uh, selling tickets in that five to $10 ticket range? Um, if you've got kids uh, with student ID at $5 and adults at 10, um, and you have more adults than kids. Are we talking about an average ticket price of eight dollars? Um, you know, what is eight times uh, 500? You know, what if it wasn't 500 year one? What if it was 200? Um, that's sixteen hundred dollars, right? Um, and then what can you expect in sponsors? Um, so there's a couple local sponsors in your town. Can you get 500 to a thousand dollar sponsors? So they have a certain number of announcements in the game and let's do realistic. We all want our team to be the Los Angeles Lakers, but just worst case scenario, uh, do you feel with your marketing skills and the, uh, the budget that you have to get the word out in your town, what can you expect? And so I get them to answer what, you know, those numbers are. Uh, it's usually somewhere in that range that we just talked about. And then I say, okay, well then let's multiply that over a number of home games throughout a regular season. And you're coming up with a dollar figure, whether that's, you know, just throwing ideas out here to your listeners. But, you know, if we've got a 10 game regular season, uh, we've got five home games. Uh, they're in that model somewhere around, the, you know, twenty five thousand to fifty thousand dollar a year income range from this club uh, based on those two things. Unless there's, uh, you know, there's other things like tryouts and maybe you get more sponsorship than that. And, Maybe you're filling up massive arenas year one, but just trying to keep it realistic. If, if you're somewhere in that range, let's say twenty-five to fifty thousand um, dollars, how much of that are you willing to spend in order to make it happen? Chris, as uh, you know, everything's sports look like they're coming back, and it's 
very exciting. And obviously I could, I could keep talking to you for a while because I'm really excited for sports to come back, but let's end with anything that you think maybe we didn't talk about, or you wanted to, that people should know about the PBA in the upcoming season. Yeah. So tip off is May 1st. Um, and it's a 10 game regular season. Like I said, um, we'll follow us on social media, it, Facebook or Instagram. It's at pro basketball association, um, online, www.pbaplayers.com. It's pro basketball association. So the acronym pbaplayers.com. Uh, you can email the league if you, would like to find out more information about owning a team or playing or participating in tryouts at league at pbaplayers.com. Same as the website, but league at pbaplayers.com. Um, this is going to change the sport. We've never had anything like this for minor league basketball in my life. Uh, not prior to me being on this planet either. Uh, it's really been because of God and because of all the people that we've surrounded our league with. And I'm really excited about the direction of it. And I hope some of your listeners jump on board. Sure, for sure. And obviously being able to sit and kind of just watch from the outside, I'm excited for all this to get started. We'll make sure we put all those links uh, in the description below. So make sure you check that out, uh, whether you're a player or not. Be sure to go and check all that out. Chris, thank you so much for joining the show. We really appreciate uh, hearing your story and the future of the league. Um, like I said, excited to watch this season unfold. So thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks. Before we get started, a special thank you is in order to our friends over at Stanley Customs. Stanley Customs creates amazing custom sports figurines for all you athletes out there. Right now, our listeners will get 15% off their order and all interviewees will get 25% off their order simply by going to Stanley underscore Customs on Instagram and telling them that Globally Ballin' sent you. Thank you. Hey everybody, thank you again for getting through another episode. We really appreciate it. I just want to quick redirect you to uh, where you can find us one more time to kind of close out this whole this whole episode. You can find us at facebook.com slash globallyballin, Twitter at globallyballin, Instagram at globallyballinofficial, the name was taken, and um, patreon.com slash globallyballin. Again, what you can find there is th all of these episodes, music-free as well as ad-free and a bunch of other tiers that offer you a lot of other stuff. There is a ton of content available for you that you are not getting here that's out there on the Patreon page. So if you want to check that out, that would be great. And then, of course, again, if you like the show, we would really appreciate a rating and a review wherever you listen. I know I normally... Uh, suggest Apple Podcasts, but if there's a way, you know, if you listen to it somewhere else and there's a way to, to rate it, that would be great as well. But any of that is very, very helpful and very much appreciated. It does take a lot of work putting these things together and uh, editing them up and making it all mesh together and getting our interviews lined up and all this. So it takes a lot, but we really believe in it and we encourage you, if you believe in it too, doing one of those things to help us out would be fantastic. Uh, otherwise, Simply you listening to our episodes coming out is is a huge blessing to us. So thank you very much for supporting the show. And um, you'll get an episode from us here in the coming days.